Hi, I'm Jen. I'm Sybil. And I'm Sophia. And this is Every Rom-Com, the podcast where we have fun taking romantic comedy seriously. Today on Every Rom-Com, we'll flash back to the fashion, slang, and lifestyles of LA in the 90s. Talk about whether we love or hate one of the most famous heroines in literature and film. And explore the careers of the cast and crew of the classic modernization of Jane Austen's Emma, Clueless. Hey, everyone. Hi. I love that dance party. <laughs> yeah, right? I do a little dance sometimes. I do a little dorky dance, just like kind of like Thai and Clueless. <laughs> so I know this is going to be a few months out before anyone listens to this, but uh, are you guys streaming anything good these days, watching anything good? Um, I actually just rewatched Vice because I felt that it was relevant. And then um, oh, the Dick I Chandler. also... <laughs> Yeah, Dick Cheney. And then, you know, I watched Wonder Woman uh, 1984. Oh, oh, what was your impression? I really liked it. I re- actually rented out a movie theater and watched it. And I had a really good time. Nice. Really <laughs> fun. Okay. I know. What did you think of the first one? I-, I didn't really like the first one. Yes. Yeah, huh. Okay. Yeah. Wow. I'm a little bit the opposite. Like, I didn't dislike the second one, but I liked the first one better. I think it was mainly because, like, I just, I didn't really buy, well, I don't want to spoil the movie, but I didn't buy some of the decisions Diana made. That's all. Ah. Well, and the second one is a romantic comedy. Ooh. Yeah. Parts of it. (laughs) Parts of it. (laughs) Okay, so today we're here. We're going to be talking about Clueless. And before we get into talking about the movie, um, let's get a little taste of the trailer. So, Okay. Like right now, for example, the Hadians need to come to America. But some people are all, what about the strain on our resources? And it's like when I had this garden party for my father's birthday, right? People came that like did not RSVP. So I was like totally bugging. I had to haul ass to the kitchen, squish in extra place settings, and like people were on mismatched chairs and all. But by the end of the day, it was like the more the merrier. And so if the government could just get to the kitchen, rearrange some things, we could certainly party with the Hadians. Wow. You guys talk like grown-ups. Oh, well, this is a really good school. Mr. Hall was way harsh. He gave me a C minus. <laughs> well, he gave me a C, which drags down my entire average. Hello? There was a stop sign. I totally paused. You tried driving in platforms. Oh, should I write them a note? <gasps> Ew, get off of me. Ah, as if. Cher's got attitude about high school boys. It's a personal choice every woman has got to make for themselves. Cher is saving herself for Luke Perry. Cher, you're a virgin? I mean, I'm not prude. I'm just highly selective. I mean, you see how picky I am about my shoes, and they only go on my feet. (laughs) (laughs) So that is a very old-style trailer, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely going for one angle on Cher, kind of like a very ditzy angle, like a kind of a female Bill and Ted angle. And then you've got that, she's a real wild one. Like, like, (laughs) 
the kind of generic music they would just play over trailers, not on the soundtrack. Of course. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think I don't think that that trailer. I think it's a bit dated, but I mean, it still totally says everything you need to know about that movie. Well, Clueless uh, was one of uh, Sybil's picks that she like brought forth. So um, do you want to give some information about why you wanted to do it? I just think it's a really funny movie. It's a snapshot in time of like Los Angeles, the Valley, the kind of the, the like late, you know, mid nineties, I guess. Um, yeah. The idea of that kind of culture fashion and like people being smart but pretending they're stupid we'll get into we'll get into whether we agree that they're pretending later (laughs) but yeah it came out in july 19th 1995 so that's the kind of time frame we're in like right in the middle of the 90s like right kind of like the transition between grunge and then like kind of a brighter poppier fashiony like late 90s a lot of people remember from like boy bands and stuff and the writer-director, we've got another female writer-director like two weeks in a row. This one is written directed by Amy Heckerling. And we've got Alicia Silverstone, Paul Rudd, Stacey Dash, Brittany Murphy, Dan Hedaya, Donald Faison, Brecken Meyer in the main cast. And the basic premise, it's as we mentioned, it's a modernization of Emma by Jane Austen. We're continuing our modernization of classic literature theme for a few weeks here. Cher is the substitute for Emma, played by Alicia Silverstone. She's rich, she's popular, and her father loves her. Her father is a widower. She has a best friend named Dion, and she has her ex-stepbrother, Josh. Uh, She's annoyed by two small problems in her life at the beginning of the movie. On the one hand, she keeps failing her driving test. Or does she keep failing or she just can't drive yet? She really can't drive. She hasn't kept failing. She's tried once while we watched this. But she, she literally can't drive and shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah. So she needs to be driven around by her ex-stepbrother who kind of annoys her. And also her second problem is she has a teacher named Mr. Hall, played by Wallace Shawn. Love Wallace Shawn. And he won't change her grade in debate class. Oh, yeah. He's a genius in this for sure. And then to solve these problems, to solve one of them, she makes a match between Mr. Hall and Miss Geist, another teacher at the school, and suddenly her grade improves in debate. Everybody's grade improves because the theory is they were both miserable and they just needed to be happy to get good grades. And after that, she wants to do more good deeds, as she put it, puts it. So she takes on a student named Ty, who's a new student, and she tries to get her to be popular and like kind of up her social status, do a makeover, etc. But at the same time, she's keeping Ty away from this uh, kind of stoned skater boy named Travis and pushing her towards Elton, who's a very popular guy. And if you've read Emma, you will know that things do not go to Cher's plans. All right. So that's kind of the general overview of the beginning. Oh, at the beginning of the episode, I should have said we will do a section that is relatively spoiler free. So this is that section. If you want to give us comments, feedback, uh, questions, you can email us at feedback at everyromcom.com. Or you can go to our website, everyromcom.com to find our podcast at any time. So I kind of wanted to start by, since we're all Gen X, we a lot, we probably all, I don't know if you did, Sophia, but I know Sybil and I must have seen it when it came out. Did you see this when it came out as well? I don't remember. Okay. I don't remember. So as yeah, much as I we remember. did. Yeah, I totally did. <laughs> as much as we remembered, I just kind of wanted to talk about like, what's our relationship to this film and to the story? Like, had we read the book first? Had we seen this film first? Had we seen another version of Emma first? And like, kind of what were our impressions at the time and, and now? Um, I know for me, I I had not read Emma at this point. 
Um, I really hadn't read much of Austen, even though I was a hardcore Regency reader. I didn't really like Jane Austen much. And she was too like placid and staid for me. I know it's very like unregency of me, but it's the truth. Um, and Emma is my least favorite of all characters. I think she is to this day. She's like my least favorite. I find her vapid and annoying and so millennial. She's like the, she is like a, the original millennial in my opinion. And I find that this is one of the only adaptations that I really, really, really like. Uh, and it's because it does a good job of making her less, less annoying and more likable as she continues. Okay. And Sophia, what do you think? I didn't like it the first time I saw it. And it, I feel like it was maybe years later, a couple years later or something. And my cousin was like, no, it's so great. Come on, let's watch it. Let's watch it. And we watched it together. And I was still like, nope, I doesn't do it for me. Um, I read Emma way later in life, you know, or after these films came out and, um, I didn't like Emma either. Uh Um, I like the 96 Gwyneth Paltrow version that one I've watched a lot and I still enjoy that version. Yeah. This was not the film I was into in 95, 96, I was watching Empire Records and <laughs> yeah. Before Sunrise and yeah. um, While You Were Sleeping, I loved French mm-hmm. Kiss, that kind of stuff. Um, Mall Rats. Yeah, yeah. The whole Kevin Smith oeuvre. And then Tarantino. Smith. Tarantino was really active then, too. I mean, yeah. he still is, but that yep. was his payday. So that, that's, that's what I was into. I liked it this time around. I could oh, okay. well, well, because it's such a snapshot, as Sybil said, and I'm like, oh my goodness, wow! Here's where so much of other films have been influenced by this one. All the things that maybe bugged me before, I laughed at now. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's hilarious! But it, it was for nostalgic reasons, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like I think I have um, some similarities with where you're coming from, Sophia. Um, I'm totally different than both of you on Austin, though. So first of all, I've read. Emma before I saw the movie, um, either Clueless or the adaptations, the straight up adaptations, like my mom had all these Austin books and I would always raid my mom's bookshelves. So I'd read probably everything Austin wrote by the time I saw Clueless. I was a serious nerd. Um, I love Jane Austen's work. Emma is not one of my favorite heroines, but like, I feel like she's um, sort of unfairly reviled in a lot of ways, just because I think she's very much a product of her time. We can get into that later. I'm not going to go so in depth, but um, yeah, when I first saw Clueless, I was also like you, Sophie, I was watching more like very indie movies and especially Tarantino. Yeah. And at the same time, I just finished high school being this total nerd and nerds and smart people don't fare well in this movie in terms of how they're portrayed. <laughs> and and also like I was like kind of considered the ugly girl and Cher is like the hot girl. And I had endured like a lot of high school classes where hot girls would make dumb speeches and everyone would applaud. And you're up there like Amber being like, I can't work with this. Like, how am I going to argue against this person? They didn't do their debate homework. Like, I'd, I'd never been in that exact same position, but I identified more with like a Josh or not an Amber because she's made to be a real jerk. She's a side character in the movie. She's a real jerk. But like, yeah, the smart people in this movie are kind of portrayed as jerks. And that bothered me then. And it still bothers me now. But I yeah. like it better now because, like you said, there's that nostalgic element and also Brittany Murphy's performance. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Watching it now, I'm just like, she was amazing. Yes, yeah. I agree. Watching it then, it was like, oh, gosh, she, yeah, she's kind of this 
she's the fixer upper or whatever. But looking back, I'm like, she's hilarious. <laughs> she's so funny. She's so funny. Her 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 body her body language in this is just so good. Oh yeah, yeah. Like she just so much with just her body. Her like, oh, she's hysterical. She's and neither of you also are from California, so I think that yeah, that also right. affects this. You know, mm-hmm. having grown up in California, my school was so much like this. That like for me, I was just like, oh, this is this is like my school. And where would you have fit in in that school ecosystem? Um, I mean, I was. I mean, gosh, I didn't. I I was a floater, so I didn't have like any of these clicks. But I was like friends with. Like I would have been friends with Cher. Okay. Like easily, I would have been friends with Cher. Yeah. Like I would have hung out with her. I wouldn't have partied ever because that wasn't my jam. But I would have easily known her and hung out with her. Like, if there had been any girls who were very popular and rich who had been as nice as she was to other people, all the popular I might have girls in my school there. were really nice. Yeah, not at mine. <laughs> they were, were all nice, nice ones. They're all like AP but... students. That's why. I, that's why I think I've always really enjoyed this movie because the. I think there are there are different kinds of kind of click clicks, and this one I felt was more like, hey, there are popular girls who aren't just cruel. Sure. Sure. And that's totally like that's totally believable. We brought different, yeah. We definitely brought different life experiences to the movie, and not everybody brings different life experiences to movies. I think it's a huge part of why we like one thing or another. Let's talk a little bit about the clueless vocabulary. I, I mean, clueless actually started a whole trend of its own kind of vocabulary, which I thought was really interesting. So when this movie came out, like you know, like she's a Monet was not a thing, but then it became a thing. Really. Right? Um, and then, you know, it kind of, it harkened back to, you know, they, you know, like the idea of, you know, her, you know, her gams and her pins and, you know, it, it, it brought in kind of these older ideas and these newer words, but then it used totally a lot and it used dude and, you know, they hit mm-hmm. the skaters. And so it, it brought in all of these different kind of languages and lingos that I, to this day is still around. Oh, yeah. Can you explain what Monet is for the listeners who may not? Oh, so Monet is like the art piece where when it's far away, you it looks beautiful. But as you get closer and closer to it, it's just a hot mess. And that's to describe a person in this movie, though. (laughs) To describe a person, which also could describe a life like 2020. (laughs) My my 2020 is a bit of a Monet. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I thought it was interesting, too, like... um, Murray's character actually says street, street slang is an increasingly valid form of expression. So Donald Faison plays Murray. Um, he's, he's explaining why he's calling his girlfriend woman. And apparently Donald Faison also brought in um, the phrase, keeping it real. That was his sort of addition to the script. So really, so I thought and that was how funny. many times do we use to this day? Keeping it real. Oh I'm yeah. Keeping it real. So, I mean, there's just oh, like, things like that. Kind of clueless with that entirely. <laughs> I think a lot of people <laughs> have probably brought that to culture. But yeah, definitely like whatever and as if, I think those were things that like I didn't really hear before Clueless. I mean, and it made totally like a big thing. And I mean, they used like, like, I mean, like I use like. Gosh, I didn't even notice the likes as like a well, thing because mm-hmm. we do it. Yeah. You know, that's just mm-hmm. part of everyday vocabulary. I did notice too, like the big words, like seems to be a thing they carried on in to bring it on when there's that one character who's like studying. Well, SATs or something and she keeps doing these big words all the time I thought that was funny maybe it wasn't an influence but it reminded me of that this particular film I mean and there's a lot of films that it 
you know, clueless, um, you know, that it, it, you know, me, I always talk about Mean Girls because it, it, if you watch Mean Girls with this, you can, you can be like, oh my gosh, there's so much about Mean Girls that they, is a homage to Clueless. But there are other, lots of films that take from Clueless because Clueless is the kind of penultimate, like teenage coming of age, that generation movie that if you go back to, it's up there for me, just like a, you know, better off dead would be. Yeah. I would add that uh, Never Been Kissed has a lot of influence from oh, yeah. Clueless. And That's, same that fashion designer. Same fashion designer on that movie. They, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Which brings us to actually designer Mona May. I had the most fun for this podcast researching the creators on this film because I did not realize like how many other great things they had done, some of them. And Mona May, the fashion designer on this movie, um, she w- did the Clueless TV show, but then she also did Romy and Michelle, The Wedding Singer, Night at the Roxbury, Never Been Kissed, and Enchanted. She did the fashion for all those movies. That is because if you want color, if you want cl- color flash and the feel of the 90s, that's who you go to. Obviously. Fantastic. Right. But also, who the heck didn't know that there was a Clueless TV show? Because I sure the hell didn't. <laughs> and then... How did it go on for what was like four seasons or something? Okay. I have a whole bunch to say about that later in the podcast, if it's okay. Like I watched a couple, I watched not only one episode, but several episodes just as research. <laughs> research quota. <laughs> you no, no. loved it. Eh, I didn't hate it, but, I, but I'd rather probably rewatch the OC. But anyway, so as to the fashion though, I'd want to, I want to talk a little bit more about that. Like, so when you think of the movie, do you think of the yellow plaid suit or do you think of Absolutely. another outfit? Okay. Absolutely. The hats, the yellow plaid. Okay. All of the hats, yellow plaid suit. And then her, like her, you know, all of her like tiny, tiny skirts. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember the tiny skirt trend. I participated in it. I was definitely doing the plaid skirts, the knee socks, the Mary Janes, the whole thing. Probably didn't even realize I was being influenced by Clueless. Could that have fa- fallen under some grunge, that look? Yeah, but like, okay, so I watched a film, a little short film about this, and it was kind of saying we wanted a grunge feel, like we wanted to keep like the flannel and the plaid, but then we wanted to make it elevated. Like they were talking about how the fashion designer Mona May wanted to elevate that look to be more chic, more something you'd wear in a Beverly Hills. It's Beverly Hills, right? High school area. Yeah. And so it's actually a Dolce & Gabbana suit, according to this video I watched. And yeah, it's become really famous. It's been brought up again in this Iggy Azalea video, which I also watched called Fancy, which like they do a whole homage to the movie in that. And Alicia Silverstone wore a similar uniform. She was on the show called Lip Sync Battle. I've never heard of that, but hey. <laughs> and she got to wear the suit again. So I guess a lot of people love that suit. But it does have that grunge connection. And as to the hats, oh my God. What, were- hat, what hat do you like or what's your... I mean, what hat isn't there? I mean, I love them all. I mean, I don't think I can pick a hat. They're all so fantastic. Probably she has. So Dion has a hat that is, it's like a pink monstrosity with a bunch of feathers, which literally I think is a callback to the Regency. I think it's supposed to be like a Regency era type ish hat. And it's fantastic. What scene is that? And do you remember? I don't even recall. No. Okay. My favorite is her little white daisy pattern crocheted hat. Oh, that one's great too. Her like little beanie hat. Yeah, I really like that one. (laughs) Any favorite, Sophia? Any fashion you like? No, I think mostly I was just like, what the heck? I didn't know nobody dressed that way. What's with the 
I was more appalled. I was like, this is so ridiculous. Nobody ever looked this way in 95. So, well, interestingly, Alicia Silverstone felt the same way when she was in the film, apparently about the fashion. She had like 63 outfit changes. And when she was actually having to do all this wardrobe work, like she was really annoyed. And she's like, why do I have to have so many clothes? Nobody dresses like this. I don't dress like this. But then when she saw the film, she's like, oh, I see. Like the fashion is like kind of a star of the film. It's kind of like a a thematic element, maybe, I guess. I'm jumping ahead in our notes that Paul Rudd wore his own clothes. He had his own Amnesty International shirt on in that film. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. What kind of budget? Budget for all the girl clothes, and they're like, well, Paul, just bringing what you got. Just because he's supposed that. to dress normal. He's supposed to be the. He's supposed to be like Sophia, you and me, with our Tarantino films back then. He I guess <laughs> just hanging out. I mean, guess so. And yeah. he only listens to fake plastic trees because that's the only song you're allowed to listen to when you're into grunge. <laughs> <laughs> it really speaks to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no like yeah i really i like the fashion for me like i don't mind that it's un- the hyper reality of it although simple i don't know do people dress like this in la at all um like, i mean know? so i mean people I, beverly hills people definitely dressed like 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 higher brow and nicer but they did not dress it wasn't like that of course it's not this is still hollywood yeah sure. Sure. Yeah, it also brings in a couple of the other fashion trends of the 90s. Like there's one where Cher's evaluating the guys negatively with their kind of backwards caps and their like pants falling down. Ah, the pants. And then she can't deal with it. She doesn't want to date those guys. And then that Christian walks in, the Frank Churchill substitute, Christian walks in with his 1950s look, which was- I loved that when (laughs) we were in high school. I loved that. Like- Oh, yeah? Cherry Pop and Daddy sound and that whole, like, when did swingers come out? Because they rocked that. I don't. I couldn't look. say off the top of my head. I'm I know it was the same that. general time period. but Right. And I loved that. I loved mm-hmm. that look. Yeah, I think I looked like Paul Rudd, basically, until I went to college. Totally. Same. <laughs> there was nothing really. And then I started similar. dressing like some sort of like goth before there were goths. But yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so what was your style in the 90s, Sybil? Um, I think my style was exactly as it was now, but I had even more glitter. I wore a, I wore a lot of glitter and puffy paint. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and gold lame. So I was not nice. cool. Like I said, I was not cool. Oh, dude, I would wear gold lame now if I could fit into gold lame. I'm wanting to be a, apparently an 80 old woman so I can wear gold lame. Yeah. Why not? I'm such a schlub. I'm like, just bring me the jeans and t-shirt. I, I'm yeah. wearing hoodies. Yay! Comfy shoe Chuck Taylors. I've been wearing Chuck Taylors since I was like thirteen, and uh, still so have a few pair. So yeah. you'd show up like Ty, and they'd call you a farmer. Oh well. Yep. I did have my hair colored like ties. That that like burgundy. Yeah, did it was you, burgundy. Did you, use like manic, did you use like the manic panic or the Kool Aid or like the what? Maybe manic panic. Manic? It was the temporary okay. wash. That, yeah. Yeah. yeah that was fun and it all you know it washed out eventually and that was yeah. a good time anyway so let's talk soundtrack um because Woo-hoo! i was super this excited about soundtrack this creator this music supervisor who's the person who licenses and gets the movies for the soundtrack is named karen rock rockman but she was also the music supervisor for pulp fiction reservoir dogs reality bites and boogie nights and i have brilliant all of those. i have all yeah. of those soundtracks 
And yeah, Reality Bites is one of my favorite of that era. And so I yes. had no idea that she hasn't done as much prominent work lately, but like just that run, it's like, wow. Yeah. It was fantastic. Everything that was playing, everything they talked about. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. And, yeah, it all, and it all plays well as well. So it's not even just like she picked the right songs. Like she's like, oh, these are songs of, of like a snapshot of the time. It's also like they ho- totally make sense in that space. Yeah. And for the characters, she has like thematic songs. Like, as I mentioned, like Josh Paul Rudd has fake plastic trees playing all the time. And um, Christian uh, has Billie Holiday playing with his old 50s vibe. And let's see, Elton is always listening, talking about his Cranberry CD or listening to it. The best. (laughs) Elton's kind of the snobby upper class guy. And I'm sorry, I like Linker. But other than that, like, I don't have much use for the Cranberries. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, there's a couple other good hits. I have heard too many people sing Zombie at karaoke. I'm finished. No. Sophia, what are some of your favorite songs from the soundtrack? I don't think there was anything specific, but as they kept coming on, I'm like, oh, hey, I, I know that one. Oh, I know that one. Like, mm-hmm. I heard some Counting Crows. I think there there was a Cranberries song that was playing at some point, and I was just, yeah. Yeah. I think every, well, I just think that every song plays so incredibly well. And, like, as soon as it comes on, you're like, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And especially yeah. now that we're older, you yeah. look back on this and are like, oh, my God, those are like the songs of that time. Yeah. My favorite's actually not until the end of the credits sequence. Like, I actually heard the song on the alternative radio station, The Smoking Popes, I Need You Around. Man, I love that song. That was my jam at the time. But it's not really against the film scenery, so it's not really associated with right. the film. So, but what about Rolling With My Homies from Coolio? Like that song, every time I've ever watched this movie, I get that song stuck in my head for like a week and it drives me insane. I don't even know that song. I don't even know that song. Rolling With My Homies. Like when when she sings along to it at the party and like that's their song, that's uh, Ty and Elton's song. Which is when she gets so sad and because they broke up and she has, she has like a, a hand towel that she's stolen. The most sad breakup that she that no one knows oh, about they, her they, ever. Like, yeah, that she together. didn't have. They weren't even yeah. together. <laughs> yeah. It is pretty sad. And Rolling With My Homies is a pretty sad, that's our song. Because like, <laughs> I, I got hit by a shoe at a party and you came over and checked that I was okay. When we get married, it's gonna. I'm going to walk down the, to our song, Rolling With The Homies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a Coolio song, apparently, which made me like it a little better for some reason, because it reminded me of that other Coolio song that one, two, three, four, get your woman on the floor. I love that song when it was out. I don't know. Am I a weirdo? I'm a weirdo. No, no. So anyway, this is such a 90s time capsule that the Mighty Mighty Boston's actually appear in the film, too. And they oh, my playing, God, yes. Yeah, they're playing at a party scene where, like, Josh's friend's party, I guess, and Christian, Josh, Ty, and Cher are all there together. Mighty Mighty Boston's. Were you guys into them? I wasn't really, but... No. No. Yeah, they're of the time, though. They're That's of true. the time. Okay, so I think, actually, I want to s- skip straight to talking about Clueless as an L.A. movie and... If you're okay with that, Sybil, could you lead yeah. us off? Yeah, yeah awesome. go ahead. Okay. Um, so Clueless 
like so for someone who's like been in LA and lived in LA for a long time Clueless is such an LA movie I mean literally they are in as many places as they humanly possibly can that are important and everything that they do is so LA from they're in valley locations they're talking about the valley to they have Beverly Hills and they like show what it's like to be in Beverly Hills in the school which by the way is just a UCLA campus and (laughs) (laughs) the the driving on this, the driving on the freeway scene. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know. So I'm going to ask for somebody who's, you know, from a smaller town in the Midwest is getting on the freeway to you just as scary as that scene. No, it was not scary to me in the Midwest. It is. But when I visited you actually in California, like when we were in college, I was terrified by the right. right. I, was, I think that LA traffic has, you know, across the country reputation as being awful. And so Right. Highway driving, I can handle, but LA driving, freeway driving, I would probably... Because I will tell you, growing up, learning how to drive and going on the freeway was exactly that. That is the (laughs) most realistic learning how to drive on the the freeway that I've ever seen. Like every single person I know was like, oh my God, yeah, no, that's 100% true. And when I watch it, I still have heart palpitations. I'm like, no, that's, oh my God, yes. I have a clip of it. Uh, can I play a little bit of the clip for some flavor? All right. This is the scene where I, who, we have to, we should introduce it. Um, D, Cher's best friend, has accidentally driven onto the, free, well, they say the freeway, the highway. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah, Yo, you're getting on the freeway. What? No, turn right. Oh, get out of the lane. No, no, no. Okay, okay. get procedure. Just oh. get out of the lane. Just relax and drive, baby. Just relax and drive. Look up. I'm here with you. I'm here with you. I'm here with you. Shut up! Shut up! Is this person who like waves a gun at them? Wait, what? What? So many waves a gun at them. So like, I don't know if you pay attention, but so many waves a gun at them from one of the other passenger cars. I saw the old woman, um, the old woman giving them the finger, but I did not catch the gun. Yeah, if you, oh if you look in the background, somebody waves a gun. I'm like, I'm like, oh god. Which, by the way, I've never actually had that happen. I think that that actually is an LA trope that doesn't actually exist. But like, you're, like fingers happen. I've things that I've seen happen. Which, by the way, so there's a scene with circus liquor. That is that is the giant um, clown. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. I literally drive by that for my to go to my office when I lived there every single day. I would drive wow. by there and it is the sketchiest part of Los Angeles. Can you tell what happens in that scene? Just so like the, the listener. Like, oh knows. yeah. So that is the scene where poor Cher is, you know, uh, she has a me too moment where she's, she's like, I don't want to kiss you. I don't even like you. I'm, I didn't want to even get in your car. And he, you know, he does not understand the dude she's with is like, Elton. I don't, yeah, I'm, Elton. Yeah, it's, it's Elton, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. He's like, oh, you totally like me because I'm a white guy and I'm driving this convertible. <laughs> and she's like, and he's like, you know, my my dad's rich and and you, your dad's whatever and we should get together. And she's like, no, I don't want to be with you. And he pushes himself on her and she's like, no. And then she gets out of the car and she goes to walk away. And he's like, where are you going? And she's like, I'm just going to walk away from you. And yeah. he just drives off and leaves her. In yep. perhaps one of the sketchiest parts of town <laughs> and back then, I'm sure it was even sketchier than it is now. Now it's gentrified a bit, and it's still sketchy. And so, like, two like I'm going to give two stories of things that I've seen happen there: totally naked dude running down the street with a gun. Wow. Totally okay. Another, I watched some chick 
sitting like road rage style, throw a Starbucks Frappuccino into another person's car window. Okay. And then the person who was the per she drove to go around that person and the other person drove backwards into her vehicle. <gasps> wow. And so what happens to Cher in that scene? Like, uh, <laughs> so poor Cher, poor Cher. She gets mugged because, but like by the nicest mugger I've ever seen. <laughs> right. <laughs> he was like, nicer than Elton who was, you know, right. Trying he was, to- <laughs> he was a gentlemanly mugger. <laughs> right. He wants her to like put her like go face down on the ground, and she's like, "But this is an Elia about her jacket. I don't know what designer that is, by the way, but she has some right. fancy jacket." On. <laughs> Which I also want to say that that particular um, space always has people filming in it, and has some of the strangest, most interesting fashion fashionable characters standing in front of it in real life. Hmm. That hmm. particular circus liquor. So if you're ever visiting, go to the circus liquor right there because it is an interesting locale. Where is it again in town? Where is it's in North Hollywood. It's on um, Lancashire and um, Hollywood Way, where all and where all the weird stuff happens. It, and if you've watched *A Wreck It Ralph*, that whole that whole area right there, Circus Lickers appears there as well. That whole area right there is where the *Wreck It Ralph* number two, the second movie. That's where the whole video game scene takes place. Is in North Hollywood. So, is like what about other things about the movie? Did they resonate with you? Like. The sort um, of yeah, so or the so um, so there's the they talk about the Pismo Beach disaster. Yeah, I, which, that went way over my head. <laughs> so you know, N- Nils and I talked about this. That's my man. Um, so you know, so we have the only reason that's actually really important is one is that no, it's not a real thing. But we always what we we have it's a season. So so it marks a season. So if you ever notice that Clueless takes pay- place during a year. And so Pismo Beach disaster, it marks a season and the season is mudslide season. So California has a mudslide or Los Angeles has a mudslide season. And so we have fire season and then we have mudslide season. And so that Pismo Beach disaster is a mudslide season season. So it's when mudslides happen and happens like every year. And what kind of area is Pismo Beach supposed to be like posh? It's a beach. Downtrodden or yeah. It's the the beach. So it's just like, it's just like the fancy – and that's the thing. Pismo Beach is like super fancy. Okay, yeah, because they're raising money. <laughs> that's why when you like, it's like super fancy. Pismo Beach is like super fancy. Yeah, because they're raising money to help the Pismo Beach residents, basically at the end of the movie, which is not really a spoiler. That's really funny. They're right? helping the rich people. Um, well, I mean, they need help too. I guess they need yeah. help too. I mean, it's, yes. I mean, I'm sure there are downtrodden people there as well. But it's like if you if you have a house in the Pismo Beach area, it's fancy. And they did a really good job talking about like how long it takes to get somewhere. And like, they're like, Oh my God, I don't want to go to the Valley because it's so far away. Cause by the way, Beverly Hills is the most hard place to get anywhere from. There are no freeways oh, really? that go directly to it. It's this weird isolated place. So like driving is like a pain and, and to get to Beverly Hills and out of Beverly Hills is like very dramatic. It's like so hard. <laughs> it really so is. It's her- like so freaking dramatic. What's with her dad saying you can get anywhere in LA in 20 minutes? Was that meant to that be a That is 100% a lie. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't, from what I've heard, yeah. um, you literally just, can get nowhere in 20 minutes. Is he assuming she's just staying maybe in her neighborhood then? I don't know. Yes. Like he's like, yeah. Yes, okay. because it takes me to get five miles down the road. It can take me 45 minutes. Yeah. It's taking me 45 yeah. minutes to get to the entrance of my, uh, the freeway entrance that's a mile and a half away from me oh. on a busy morning. That's awful. I could not live that life, but 
<laughs> there are advantages and disadvantages to each place that one lives. Okay, so let's, why don't we get into the spoilers okay section? We've already kind of delved into it. So yeah. Sarah was trying to set up Ty with Elton. As we have talked about now, that didn't work because Elton was crushing on Cher. Despite Cher thinking he was giving signs of being interested in Ty, it was just to benefit her, just like in the book, Emma. Just like in the book, yep. Yeah. And then Cher develops an interest in Christian, who is the new student. He's very, he's the one with a different style, the 1950s style. He's very Yeah, he's got a very, he's got a very old school, old timey style. Mm-hmm. And he's, we're at spoilers, right? And he's so odd in order. gay to literally everyone. <laughs> I don't know. In high school, I don't think I would have assumed that. But really? I I wouldn't have assumed it, no. And he has a very, like, subdued style. Like, if he came over to the house and he wanted to watch Spartacus, which Cher calls Sporadicus, and some like it hot, I might have caught on, but, like, yeah. Look at how he dresses. Literally, that kid is gay. There are heterosexual men who dress well. Not in the 90s. I I think I met some, but whatever. Whatever. Anyway, moving on, he's gay. But... When he comes over to take Cher out for a date, Josh sees Cher in this little tiny white dress, which she says is from Calvin Klein. And you see the first obvious sign that he's into her. They really do like kind of a male gazy, like look at Cher, come down the stairs, look her body over kind of scene, like which is questionable to me. But yeah, that's what it well, is. Well, And this is one of my favorite scenes as well, because he Josh goes, are you going to go to her, her dad? He's like, are you going to let her out in that? And he, she's like, oh my God, don't worry. I'm going to, and he's like, put on a coat. And she's like, don't worry. Of course I am. And she puts on like the tiniest like coat yeah. you've ever seen. It's like yeah. nothing. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> that funny. Was funny. My favorite part is when Christian goes up to her dad and, and he's all talking in this 1950s lingo. And it's, her dad's like, what? You think Sammy Davis died and left an opening in the rat pack? <laughs> that <was funny. laughs> I thought that was a pretty funny line. I have a burning question and I don't know when to pop it in. Do it. Okay. Does Josh grab Cher at some point early on? Like when you kind of are first introduced to him, they're in the kitchen because he goes, you're filling out well. And I'm like, did he just, did he just grab what? What's he He, he tickling her? He does. He he tickles her. It is flirtatious, but to me it was like, that could be read as like, you know, a sibling thing. Like, you know, Oh, I guess so. But <laughs> it took me it took me aback for a minute. I'm like, what? Oh sure. Oh sure. This scene is the scene where it like telegraphs to you like obviously that like, oh yeah, he's into her. Yeah. yeah. And then her you see her dad too, like, okay, so when he says he's gonna go to the party and make sure she's okay, yeah. you see the dad kind of give like a wink, like, Oh yeah, you're you're gonna he make knows. sure she's okay. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, we know Cher finds out Christian is gay. She tries to have a date with him. That doesn't go well. And then Ty suddenly becomes more popular after she has like an incident where two guys like endanger her life at the mall, which is totally filling in for the really politically incorrect scene in Emma, where she is accosted by she's accosted by gypsies or something mm-hmm. like that. It's such a it's such a weird thing in an Austin book too because she doesn't have a lot of things that are like really melodramatic like that in her other books. So it's like kind of out of left field. You're like, yeah, really? She's accosted by Her gypsies. publisher clearly was like, listen, we need something here. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, Ty's attack at the mall like is, is makes her popular. Everyone wants to hear about her so-called near-death experience, which it was not. So Ty's becoming more popular. Immediately after that, Cher fails her driving test because she's a horrible driver. <laughs> and the most the most hysterical driving scene ever where she hits cars and almost a, kills a biker. It's it's funny because she didn't kill the biker. 
It's like that place where comedy is just like right on the edge of tragedy, you know? It's true. Like you felt like you really do feel for the driving instructor where he's just like, dear Lord, how is this happening? (laughs) Which by the way, speaking of things. So if you've ever driven in Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills, they're a single street, like the single road. So they're a single lane that is big enough for two and a half cars. I'm not messing with you. So they're that large. So for her to like almost hit a car, it's unreal. And she's like, you mean I didn't pass? That was cute. And the the instructor was like, Rah. Girly, as far as you're concerned, I'm the messiah of the DMV. <laughs> I believe that's what it says. Okay. So Cher fails her driving test. She realizes she's interested in Josh at the same time. And then... Ty reveals to her that she's also interested in Josh. Cher is like totally discouraging this interest. And then Ty says to Cher, why am I even listening to you? You're a virgin who can't drive. What's fantastic about that line, you're a virgin who can't even drive, is the, is Cher's reaction too. She's like on the verge of tears and she's like, that was really low, Ty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry, where were we? We can go on. Cher realizes her matchmaking and slacking off have been mistakes. Yeah. And Cher decides to get involved in charity at the Pismo Beach Disaster Relief Fund. And she helps her dad with his uh, depositions. And she's remaking herself. And then Josh and Cher then end up hooking up um, after one of the her dad's lawyer friends gets angry at her for making a mistake. And... After that, Ty and Travis hook up. Travis is the stone skater boy from the beginning of the movie, but now he's entered a 12-step program and he's come back all reformed with better skating. And Murray and Dion, like, so Cher's friend Dion, she doesn't really have much of an arc, really. Like her and Murray fight and they make up. They fight and they make up. I don't really get the idea that they've gone through some kind of journey together. So it's a a little bit sad that she doesn't get as much of a journey in the movie. But, I mean, that's not even a character that existed in Emma. Like, Emma did not have any friends, basically, except for, like, her former governess. Right, I was going to say, her former governess. The- and Harriet, yeah, that she adopts. Harriet, who is Ty. Yeah. All right, so that's, like, there we are with the plot. So, let's see. How do you guys think this plot succeeds as a modernization? I, I thought that it does a really good job. I actually, like I said at the beginning, I think it works even better as a modern modernization. I think they did a really good job updating it, considering I think Emma can be hard to update. Yeah, because there's weirdness. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, like there's in, gypsies. Yeah. Well, yeah, obviously. But like beyond that, like Mr. Knightley. So Mr. Knightley is Josh. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. Josh. He is listed as being 37 or 38. And Emma is 21. So obviously yeah. that's not going to happen. He's her brother-in-law, which actually I would argue is maybe a better relationship to have to be dating than your ex-stepbrother, but whatever. <laughs> but he basically like has known her since she was a kid. So that's also kind of vaguely incestuous too. So mm-hmm. yeah, so it is hard to update. That's an odd situation. And also having somebody who's in the social position where Emma is in Austin's novel. In Austin's novel, Emma is basically like, the almost the only person of her social class and her age in her town, in her small mm-hmm. town. Mm. So like, that's why she doesn't have a friend. That's why, you know, glomming onto Harriet after her governess left to get married is so appealing. She's mm. like, Oh, I've got a project now. I've got somebody who'll look up to me. I have someone to talk to, to walk with. I mean, at that time as a woman, having someone to walk with was important to go places with. And 
Yeah, I think it makes a real difference in the characterization because Cher has friends. She has right. Dion, she has her friends at school. But like Emma basically has no one in Austin's novel. I think but that's I also, why I find her more sympathetic than maybe other people do because I'm looking at it through the lens of she has just had no peers and everyone in her life has been praising her. Right. But I also felt that they did a good job where the things that were nice in the book, Emma, um, is that Emma's relationship with her father, like of mm-hmm. all Austin's characters, she has a very good relationship with her father. And but so her they father's kept weird in Austin. Her father is like super weird in Austin. He's much better in Clueless. Like in he, Austin, he, he is. is like he, a he, super well, he, he, I think he's weird in Clueless. I mean, I think everybody's a little bit toned down. Well, I think you, I agree with you definitely that the translations to, of the characters to the present day were very, were good choices. Like the relationship with her dad, keeping that tightness, keeping that being one of Emma's main positive character traits that she loves her dad. She's going to look out for her dad. She cares about her family. Great. And I also love how they cut out the Jane Fairfax, Frank Churchill story and just simplified that to be uh, Cher is interested in another guy, but it doesn't work out Mm -hmm. because he has a secret, but it's not like I have a secret engagement. Like it's like that would not work. (laughs) Um, I also felt that, you know, um, that Josh, I I wasn't really as weirded out by the fact that she, he was her kind of like ex stepbrother that never really weirded me out because it it didn't get the impression that they really grew up together, but that they were more like, they were barely, they were kind of like friends. Sure. Yeah. I think for me, it's like only like, if they don't work out, it's going to make it really awkward in the future. That's the only thing I will. I like that clueless they're in high school. I think that's a clever and a like just a good transition from the story because it feels that way. This whole like setting up and you know the clicks and all that and yeah. social um, hierarchy. The social yeah. hierarchy. I think that translates quite well. Yeah. I thought Harriet's was interesting because in the book Harriet is supposed to be quite beautiful. Her appearance was not why she wasn't marriageable. It was all her social status, her, her social economic status. status. But today, like that doesn't really translate. Like be like, oh, she's hot? Date her. You know what I mean? Right. So they had to make her like less hot than than Elisa. Almost everyone's less hot than Elisa Silverstone. Like it's like she's ridiculous in that movie. But like, but um, yeah, they she's in this movie, oh, Harriet's social status is more denoted by her clothing, her accent. Um, her word choices, kind of her goofiness, her awkwardness, and like, mm. yeah, her hair dye. I don't know. One last thing is, I think this story does hit most of the beats of Emma, so that's really good. Like, it, you've got there's a party where she, where she tries to get Elton with Ty, and instead he forces himself on her in a less you know dramatic way in the book. But there you go. There's uh, the part where Josh dances with Ty at a different party which echoes Knightley dancing with Harriet at a party and why Harriet becomes involved, like interested in Knightley. And yeah, I just think it, it, really, it does a really good job hitting the beats. I don't, the, the weirdest thing for me is Cher and Emma do not seem much alike to me. They really don't. Like Emma is supposed to be like actually quite smart, but she just slacks off and like she doesn't really have any friends and she's been spoiled and she's been left alone. And kind of like the viewpoint of Austin towards her is very like, kind of critiquing. And I think that's why everyone hates her because the the author is critiquing her as she writes her. She likes her heroine, but she's actively critiquing her. Whereas Cher is always getting affirmation from people, her peers. She has a peer group and she's getting affirmation for not trying hard. Emma doesn't really get that. She just gets kind of like they let it go. They don't applaud for her as much maybe, but they just let it go. They applaud politely. 
And then in Clueless, Sherry's getting applauded for, for the most ridiculous debates I've ever heard. If I were teaching that as a teacher, <laughs> she would be in my office. We'd be talking about her future a little bit and try, be trying to help. I feel Emma is portrayed as more intelligent or that her society values intelligence. Like maybe, maybe it's the more that, like, I feel like Emma's society does value intelligence and promotes it. Whereas I don't know if the environment of share is promoting it. See, and I feel that they're promoting intelligence. It's just a different kind. Sure. So, you know, what she's kind? being prom- like, her dad is like, Oh, so you, you negotiated your grade. Excellent. That's what we value. We like st- more street smarts and less like just like book learning. Well, like street smarts, except for getting mugged. Well, but listen. <laughs> or driving. Or well, guess what? She, guess what? She'll learn that as well. She's learning. Yeah. I th- she has potential. Do you know? Like she's still just in high school. Yeah, um, she's learning. These are life lessons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, but I think the way that the text. I mean, you can't almost can't make a movie, a romantic comedy, especially where you're shitting on the the heroine, <laughs> like like exactly. where the perspective of the movie is shitting on the heroine. So I guess it just plays differently that way. Yeah. yeah, I think Emma Cher is actually nicer than Emma. I think that is one other difference, though. I think Cher is actually genuinely sweeter and nicer and more egalitarian, which reflects our modern era. And that probably makes her more likable. Emma is not egalitarian. Like at the end of Emma, if there's, I, I don't think it's really implied that she's going to stay friends with Harriet because she, it's just not thought of as d- done in that time. I agree. Whereas, I agree. Yeah. And I actually think that that was probably what I thought would be the hardest thing for them to, to like kind of do in the, in a modern script is actually the, is something with the class system. Yeah. Because that is a harder thing to play with in, in our more modern times without making somebody like uber rich and then super poor or putting them in not America Hmm. or having a movie that's about only class. Well, having something lighthearted that's about only class. I mean, right, got, like, exactly. Parasite is, is a great movie about class. Exactly. Which <laughs> you're not, you, then you're like, not a very, this isn't a romantic comedy. <laughs> no, it is not. Parasite as a romantic comedy. One man and his rock. No. <laughs> <laughs> Without giving spoilers for Parasite. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, I still haven't seen it. Oh, you, you got it. so fantastic. I know, I know, I'm a fool. So I think we talked a little bit about Emma versus Cher, but we could I could ask like who do you relate to more? I think Sybil probably Cher. Actually, I mean, can you relate to either of them? I mean, I don't I, I don't relate to either. Like I guess, either, I guess. like I'd be I'd be friends. So that's a form of relating. You'd be friends with Cher. I'd be friends with Cher. Yeah, Emma. I'd be like I hate you. I can't even hang out with you. <laughs> You're so vapid and annoying. Well, why do you say vapid though? Like oh, she's I'm so good. vapid. Oh, she's no, no, just no. so va- so like Cher. At least I can understand that she's she's not really vapid. She's just a little bit clueless at times. But, I mean, you know, I think the exact same thing is is true of Emma, and she has the <sighs> exact same series of revelations and realizations about herself. Emma right? comes off to me as so incredibly selfish. Where Cher is like somebody. I think they write Cher to be less selfish. Yes, they write her to be. I agree with that. They write her to be. And less I think selfish. that's the problem. Like I have trouble with incredibly selfish characters. Okay. And that's I think the biggest problem. Okay. Yeah, that but I didn't really understand like the difference. But but selfish, I will totally back you up on that. Yeah. Sophia, any thoughts? None. You like you like Emma better, the Gwyneth Paltrow. Why is that? Is it because just like the style or the acting? I think the style. Yeah. Okay. okay. Did either of you? So I'm going to ask a question. Did either of you see the new Emma that just came I out sure in 2020? Did. I did, and I liked it. I liked no. it too. 
Yeah. I did not. I have not okay. gotten to I still haven't gotten to Parasite. So <laughs> getting there, guys. Okay, I'm way behind. We'll just pretend Parasite's a rom-com and we'll podcast about that. <laughs> and now, Parasite. I, I don't just watch rom-coms. Every, every rom-com and Parasite. Okay. <laughs> cool. Like, this is a very strange podcast. It is. It's a little strange day, but we've had a strange day. We've, we've had a strange day. Yeah. <laughs> so let's see. Which do you, do you think the couples had chemistry or which couple do you think had better chemistry? Do you think they would last? Um, I, you know, I find, I felt that, I felt that Josh and Emma had fine chemistry. I mean, but I find that Paul Rudd is Josh and Cher. Josh Josh and Cher. Yeah. 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 I find that, um, I find that Paul Rudd is actually really just good rom-coms. Do you, so you think they have good chemistry? Do you think they would last? Do you think they would last as a relationship, Josh and Cher? (laughs) That was a big intake of breath. It was. Because the romantic in me wants them to, but that you know, young. shares she's young, right? She's gonna yeah, go to school. She's, so young. she's literally she's 16. Grow. Yeah. sixteen. Yeah, sixteen. She's 16. 17. No, she is sixteen. She says it in the movie. Yeah, she's, she's so young. Josh you know, is an undetermined age. Opportunity, and that'll be that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they'll probably end up friends again, and that'll be fine. My vision for them is they stay together longer than they should because Josh feels guilty that she was so young. Cher feels like, you know, I don't want this to be awkward. And the dad wants them to be together. And eventually they break up when Cher's in college and it's awkward for a few years and then they're okay. I don't see it lasting. (laughs) I don't need it to either. I don't like it when they have characters stay together forever when they met in high school. Like the Harry Potter thing drove me nuts. I'm like, what's the like? Yeah, what's the likelihood? I still don't know what happens. Don't tell me. Yeah, you grow up. Dude, it is too. It is too late to, to be avoided being spoiled by Harry Potter. You. Can- <laughs> I have my guesses from what all I've read, but yeah. I'm like, statute of limitations is over on that. But I will be nice. It's true. You can go ahead, say whatever you want. Nah, it's okay. Just I, I made the point I need to make. Anyway, yeah. So we agree they have good chemistry. And Emma and Mr. Knightley, any opinions? Yeah, they'll stay together. I mean, yeah, because of the time. Yeah, will they be happy? Yeah. Okay, I agree. Um, You know, I don't have an opinion on that. I mean, I, I don't have an opinion on that. I mean, she'll be a widow pretty young, probably. Yeah, yeah, because I keep being like, well, yeah, he'll die. Unless she's already got money. So, and now she's got more money. No, she's (laughs) she's set in that day and age. So the movie's called Clueless, and several people in the movie, this is a segue, the movie's called Clueless, several people in the movie are referred to as Clueless. Cher calls Ty Clueless, Josh calls Cher Clueless, eventually Cher calls herself Clueless. Like, do you think it's named for all these people, one person? Does it matter? I think it's named for everyone. Everyone, yeah. So even Mr. Hall, the debate teacher, or her dad. Well, he's or- totally clueless that he was just set up. To like, oh, that's to help true. Their oh, yeah. that's true. They set up him with Miss Geist, who is this like unrealistically disheveled teacher. I'm sorry, <laughs> it really is. I'm like, what? What are they doing? She's probably probably our age. She's probably yeah, yeah. in her forties, and she's like all like I don't know a mess. And I'm like, come no, on. She, she looks like the embodiment of the phrase "Look what the cat dragged in." I'm not yes. kidding. <laughs> yes. I agree. 
So anyway, everyone's everyone. I, I didn't catch that, but you're right, Sybil. Like the people who are the victims of shares or the beneficiaries of shares machinations are also clueless. That is a good point. I don't know if Dion's clueless. Dion seems pretty pretty smart. She's also the only character that doesn't really seem to have an arc. I was about to say, she's the only one right. also doesn't really have an arc, except that she like has sex. That's that true. That is her arc. I went from because, not having sex to having sex. Yeah, because she experienced the terror of being on the freeway and then decided to sleep with Murray. <laughs> I mean, listen, if you survive a near-death experience like that, I mean, yeah. it's going to happen. Yeah. Okay, let's see. And so what do we think Cher learns, essentially? I think she learns to be more kind and I think she learns that she is not the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. Right. A little less judgy. Cause I mean, in the beginning she's like, Oh, I've got to teach Ty everything clearly. And then she, you know, uh, Travis, he's a nice guy from the beginning, but she, she puts a judgment on him. Um, yeah. Because he's stoned all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, not like we're judging. Yeah, but not like judging. I don't know, but yeah, it's interesting though because, like, in the book, it's it almost or sorry, in the movie, it almost seems like Cher is not proven wrong about Travis, but that like by rejecting Travis, he has now gone into a twelve step program. Like, it's weird. Like the way the movie works, it almost seems like Cher was right all along, and now he is worthy or something. Right. I I don't know how I feel about that, but. I mean, good for Travis, the fictional character, I guess. I guess, like, for me, the the one thing that I had problems with the movie, I don't guess it's about Cher, maybe as much as, like, the movie does weird things with its themes sometimes. Uh-huh. It's like Cher's learning a lesson, but at the same time, it seems like she's been right all along, you know? Like, she wasn't right about where she led Ty necessarily, but she wasn't 100% wrong. And, like... I don't know. She's rewarded constantly. I don't like, there's very few places where, where she doesn't get to drive is the place where she's not rewarded. Basically. I think it's, it's very much of the time. So like another thing I had about it being of its time though, is I, I feel like there was a tradition of like kind of anti-intellectual heroes going on at that time period. You have Bill and Ted's excellent adventure in 1989. Beavis and Butthead started in 93 and actually shows up in the show. They're watching, she's watching Beavis and Butthead at one point. And then Forrest Gump in 94 won the won the Oscar over Pulp Fiction, which like Forrest Gump, like obviously he's mentally disabled rather than like, you know, like just a regular person who's not smart or whatever. But like it really felt like there was this truth. It was like people who are not intelligent are better people or like they are more fun or like we should be we should root for them. Like, what do you guys think? Do you think there was that tradition at the time? Did you feel it? I mean, do you think it's ongoing? I I've never thought about that like that. So, yeah. Like what I noticed was that in the movie, the characters are portrayed as being intelligent, like, or who should be intelligent. There's the college girl that Josh shows up with, like when he has to pick up Cher and she's totally pretentious. She's so annoying. You hate her. Like you're supposed Uh. to hate her, but she's supposed to be a college girl who's accomplished something and they shit on that. And then, and Cher actually knows a fact that she doesn't, which was kind of cool. Like she knows that Polonius said a line in Hamlet, not Hamlet. And then, um, but then Amber is actually supposed to be smart, but she's also a bitch. Uh, and Miss, Mr. Hall de-criticizes Mr. Hall. He's like, he's something like, he's just a miserable old man with a, who wants everybody else to be miserable too. And it's like, no, he's your teacher. He's just, he's trying to teach you something <laughs> like, but, and, and like, it, it, they don't hate Mr. Hall in the movie. You're not supposed to hate him as a viewer, but like, I don't think you're supposed to like his intellectualism or his strictness or his actual teaching. 
as much. So, all right. That's my thought. Any reaction? Well, I mean, I definitely think that there was a time in the 90s, for sure. Now I'm going back to like reliving my youth in the 90s, right? Where like, if you were smart, like you were a nerd and a geek and therefore uncool. But that's like yep. the 80s and me. the 90s. That was me. Yeah. Right. Well, I'm, you but know, there I'm were a lot of movies. There were a lot of movies, though, that were like making the nerds and the geeks heroes, too. So like a lot, like a lot of the John Hughes movies, it's the nerds and the geeks who are the heroes. Like One Crazy Summer, Better Off Dead, like you mentioned before. I don't know. I feel like this I was mean, a I'll, different tradition. I'll say this in terms of like, well, we watch a lot of cartoons and a lot of television geared for young children up in my house. And it is definitely the the hot way to be is smart. And they are showing all kinds of girls of every age that are doing math and science. Mm -hmm. And there's a, a and still all up on fashion. I wish they would kind of drop that. <laughs> You're anti-fashion, huh? I just like, I don't know. Okay, okay, what does okay. that have to do with like kind of anything? I, I, I don't mean, know why, why every girl in like a film, there's always at least one that's like, oh, my outfit. And like, I didn't know anybody like that. We may have to we may have to sneak the Double Wears Prada into this podcast because that would be amazing to hear your opinions on that. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I, I don't know who, how that's a romantic comedy. I mean, there is a romance. Well, whatever. Okay, <laughs> I think our mm. definition of rom com is pretty uh, loose. loose for now. Yeah, loose. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah, anyway. I guess that was just the thought I had. Is like I felt there was that anti intellectual tradition today. It's obviously different. So, is this movie feminist in your opinion? I don't ever look at a movie whether it's feminist or not. So, I mean, I didn't feel unfeminist while watching it. I think I'm with Sybil on that. I was like, hey, whatevs. I, I have been looking at movies as feminist or not since like we were kids and The Little Mermaid came out and I hated it. <laughs> so, and oh, and The Lion King. Don't get me started on those female lions. Like they would be kicking the hyenas' asses. I'm sorry. Anyway, but like for, for Clueless, like, I feel like it passes the Bechdel test really well. You know, like, does a woman, do two women talk? Do they talk about something other than a guy? You know, like uh -huh. women's screen time. Right. There's a lot of representation on the creative team, which is good, female representation. Uh -huh. um, I have really mixed, but like we were talking about the themes, I have really mixed feelings about the themes. Like the anti-intellectualism is one that I noticed a little bit when I was younger, not just now, but when I was younger. And then, um, like... The ending, it's like they're all at this wedding and like they're all in their couples and they're all talking about getting married. And I'm like, you're 16 years old. Like that's so foreign to what the experience was like for me. But that's like so many like, but like that's so many people. Like, so, I mean, I feel 16 maybe less now, but when I was growing up, like everyone was like, oh my God, I can't wait to get married and I'm going to have kids. And this is what my wedding is going to be like and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I didn't grow up like that. So it was odd to me, but yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And then was there anything else I want to say about that? Yeah, just share. It's like, like she's valued for her kindness, which is great. But like a lot of what I think she's valued for by Josh, at least visually, the way the movie signals it is her appearance. Like it's her hotness. Like that's what's signaled a lot of the time. And, you know, I just, I like to see relationships where women are valued for a lot of different qualities. Really? Even the part where she burns the girl that you even said it, the... Yeah, she, yeah, she does. Yeah, quote. but that's kind of like a one and done. Like, uh, yeah, I would have to oh, disagree wait. because if he thought of her as just hot, 
he wouldn't he would have thought of her as hot for a long time he only he was surprised when he started noticing her as hot i think Mm -hmm. he started liking her as a person but all he like liked her as a person and then one day he was like oh shit she's hot and Mm -hmm. i already like her as a person Um, and so i think i think that that is actually what really happened and it wasn't it hadn't it i mean yes men like visual they they like visualness So yes, he liked that she was also hot, but like it had, he already was digging her as a person beforehand. Okay. So tell me this. Could you, would you buy this? Would you believe this movie if Cher was not attractive? Like her character in every other way was the same, but not attractive. Yeah, actually, as long as she wasn't like hideously ugly, like, you know, mask or something. Yeah. Well, it would also depend on Josh's maturity. I'm not even just saying about Josh, though. Would you believe that everybody at school is okay with her debates being kind of crap? That everybody? Oh, no, no. She totally gets away with everything because she's hot, but that's reality. But I mean, we're choosing which types of characters we portray when we make a movie. So I guess that's the only critique I have. Yeah, the last one. Well, then you're critiquing kind of every movie. (laughs) No, not every movie. Think about the half of it that we did last time, Sophia. Like she wasn't hot. She's just like normal looking girl, but it's a perfectly good movie about her story. Right. But they all love the hot girl. You know? I know. I was about to say, but like she's the hot she's girl. Accepted because she's beautiful. Yeah. But she's you know? not the protagonist. That's that's the only thing I'm saying. Uh, I'm not saying like. I'm but not did our protagonist like, get anybody in the end? No. She got like, so no, Exactly. Thank you, Sophia. But, <laughs> but neither did the hot girl. Neither did the hot girl, though. Neither, like, so fine, I'm but just neither saying, did the protagonist, like, who was just normal, like, average. Unfortunately, it's not about whether they, it's not about whether, okay, it's not about whether the less hot girl gets a man or not in the movie to me more. It's more like, are those stories being told? And, like, to what extent in our culture? Are well, we also, you can't look stories? at a movie that was made in the 90s and compare it to a movie that's made now because True. we have that's, completely I mean, different. I mean, you can th- compare it, and I literally <laughs> just did, but. But you you can't and because I would say because I would say more movies are feminist now. So the whole question was was it feminist? Not was it feminist for the nineties? That's all. I mean, it was a hundred percent feminist for the nineties. Mm. There was it was a it was female directed. That's true. Well, the representation. Yeah, I covered that representation. For me right. Went out That's that. all you had to say. Like, well, it was female directed. Yeah, and the female in a world where we only have sixty percent of movies right now that are directed Wait, by how, women, and we're excited about was that. It? What percent was it again? 16% and we're excited by that. Wow. That is 16% sad. and we're super excited by that. Yeah, representation is in in the cat in the crew and the cast definitely important. So that part of the feminism I definitely agree with. Yeah. I'm not trying to crap on the film. <laughs> it's okay, guys. No, it's just one of those things that it's like, well, you know, when I look at a film like Clueless and for me, I do, I hold it up as a film that, you know, it made huge, it made huge inroads in many ways. And when I I just watched it again, I was like, wow, this is why it made so many inroads, you know, but I think it doesn't get as much, you know, kudos from people because it was directed by a woman and it is about women. That's true. I don't know about the directed part because most people don't know that, but the being about woman, totally agree with you. Yeah, like, so it's not taken as seriously. It's called, we call a lot of people call them chick flicks. Yeah, they don't right. they don't respect them. They don't like like oh I don't want to watch that movie. It's got a bunch of ladies in it. You know? Yeah, that's still today a problem. Are we are we good to move on? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So 
Um, let's talk about Amy Heckerling since we're already on her. We can go back to other things if we need to, but we're already on talking about Amy Heckerling, the director and writer of Clueless. And she's very famous. Uh, she also did Fast Times at Ridgemont High as just the director. Uh, but then she wrote and directed Look Who's Talking, Look Who's Talking 2. Let's see, what are her other famous? Well, maybe those are only other famous wrote and directed. She did another film called I Could Never Be Your Woman, which is another rom-com, which Paul Rudd is in. Yes. And, and actually, Michelle Pfeiffer has his love interest in that, which is amazing when you think about she's his mother, well, his maybe future mother-in-law in Ant-Man. I really want to see that by the way but I haven't been able to find it streaming yet then Heckerling did another written and directed movie called Vamps which Alicia Silverstone appears in and she's been doing TV directing lately so she's had a pretty long career and she also did some of the episodes of the Clueless TV show which we'll talk about later so had you seen a lot of Heckerling's other work or what do you know about her before this I have seen almost all of her other movies even the weird vampire one? I did not see the weird vampire. Okay. Well, I might have, but I've completely forgotten okay. if I have. You saw if I, uh, I Could Never Be Your Woman? I have. Was it good? Um, I, I liked it. I liked it enough. Yeah. Are either of you a fan of Fast Times at Ridgemont High by any chance? I saw um, it a long time ago once. Yeah. I've seen it's it a not- couple times. It's, I mean, it's definitely, it's a coming of age drama that's, you know, good, but it's not one of my favorite coming of age dramas. Yeah. And she didn't write that one either. So yeah, yeah. it wasn't one of but my it's favorite. it's well-directed. Okay. And then we've got Alicia Silverstone. So I find her fascinating because before Clueless, she was known for this movie called The Crush, where she's like basically a young girl stalking Carrie Elwes. I have yeah. not seen it, but I've seen trailers for it. I, I really want to watch it now because it seems like it'd be so bad. It's good. It, it is so bad. It's good. It's that good. <laughs> also, Terry Elwes is like in his, is it like an amazing in his prime. <laughs> and then she was known for that series of Aerosmith videos. That is how I knew her mainly in the 90s because I watched a lot of MTV. So, you know, crying, crazy, amazing. That's the trio that she did. She was always playing these seductive young girls. One In one of them, she's in a school girl, girl skirt that rides up and you see her underwear. Uh-huh. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> That's <laughs> That's that's the that was the zeitgeist back then. <laughs> Wait, was it feminist? Did you feel like it was a feminist? I, I did not. Feel, I did not feel like it was feminist, but also like I was a very like sexually motivated young girl, so it didn't bother me. Like I really liked Aerosmith at the time too. So yeah, and that that's the time we grew up in. Like object, like seeing yourself as an object, I don't think was right. as frowned upon as it was maybe in the seventies. I think the, the other, I don't remember which wave it's supposed to be called, but there was like the sex positive wave of feminism that was emerging. And that included like, it was okay to dress like a schoolgirl and be all flirty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Sophia, is that your experience? You had a religious, more religious upbringing than I did. So maybe it wasn't actually quite the upbringing. It was, it was like the, uh, that was my rebellion actually to take myself to church as a teenager. So. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll talk about this a different time. <laughs> yes. So uh, that's you, that. You went the other way. You rebelled. I did. Way. I went the other you way. Like the Alex P. Keaton of your family. <laughs> <laughs> so like Sybil said, what happened to Alicia Silverstone? Like she hasn't really had another breakout role since Clueless. Like, I looked at her IMDb. I didn't recognize most of it, and I haven't seen really any of it. 
I guess she's on the Babysitter's Club TV show. Have either of you seen that? No, I, they- I have watched. I have watched them. Was oh, she on there? The one I really liked the Babysitters Club. Like those were like staple books for when I was for me when I was growing up. Yeah. And so when they came out, I I watched them and they're good. And she is not in any way bad on them. Not in any way bad. So yeah, no- I would say she's amazing. I'm not like, well, okay. oh my god, she's incredible. Yeah. But I mean, she's fine. There wasn't much to work with for her. Okay. Yeah, and I think what she one of the other things she's known for though is she's actually been an animal rights activist and. She has her own vegan cookbook, The Kind Diet. So I found that interesting. So that's what I remember, her coming out as a vegan. Yeah. yeah. So what about Brittany Murphy? Like, I don't really remember how she died. Like, it said... It was an overdose, like, I think. Well, it said it, it, it was ruled accidental. Like, so, like, the best I can see is it says she was on prescription drugs, but she also had anemia, anemia and pneumonia. So it was ruled accidental, but yeah, there's some question about it. It's weird, is all it is. And, and it's she sad. died in she died in 2009. Right. Yeah. It's just sad. She was only 32. And she is like, I think when I watched it again, like I said, she was to me the standout in the cast. Like oh, yeah, the, she was fantastic. The, the thing that I laughed at the most is literally her just singing along to the Mentos ad. The Mentos that, commercial. That, that should not brilliant. be as funny as it is, but it's hilarious. I love that part. I mean, it's relatable too because we all sing around to com- sing along to commercials probably at some point in our life. But the Mentos commercial yeah. specifically, and then like, oh, go ahead. I was going to say that'll always be a thing. Like that yeah. jingle will live on in my head forever. Like rolling with the homies for you, yeah. Mentos for me. And then I think you mentioned Sybil when she's like banging her head on a table because yeah. rolling with the homies is playing yeah. at the restaurant. This, there's just so much of her like kind of like body work that she did that was really good. I, I mean, the way she walks, you know, her yeah. slipping and falling. Like she just, there's a lot of like comedic timing that she had. She just was really amazing in that. I think physical acting is so tough. Like using your body to act. Yeah. Is so tough. Yeah. I don't know. So her other roles before she died included Uptown Girls, Eight Mile, Just Married, Girl Interrupted. Are any, any that you were like of her other work? Hmm. No. She did riding in cars with boys. Oh, yeah, no. yeah. Did she? Is that did it? She? With, yeah, I believe with she did. Barrymore? I can't say 100%, but I believe she did. All right. So then we got Paul Rudd. <laughs> He's probably, like, the most famous cast member. I watched this, like, okay, I watched this thing at Comic-Con, which was, like, a reunion show for about Clueless. And, oh, my God, I was so annoyed because, like, half the people were just asking him Ant-Man questions. And it's like, this is a Clueless panel. Stop it. But it was, it was really... It was frustrating. I felt like the other cast probably were frustrated. But They're like, they should just ask him Anchorman questions. I mean, the thing is, Paul Rudd has ha, has a very broad amount of films yeah. that he's done. Oh, yeah. He has a huge amount of work. Like, my favorite of his is probably the, his roles in the Wet Hot American Summer movies, because he's like, he's such a good part of those. He's one of the funniest actors in that in that whole series. He's he's great, which yeah. He, I mean, he he he's a very good actor. He has he's he's a range. He can do a huge range, and he's he's very charismatic. He's kind. He's funny, and he can also do evil. He's he's done two roles where he's played a villain very well. Wait, what's that? I haven't seen. Um, I would have to look them up, but he he's played villains. And then we got Stacey Dash, which I like, I don't think I appreciated as much when I, I know I didn't appreciate as much when I was younger, like representation of black characters in the movies. And like, there's so few and Stacey Dash's Dion is such a great 
character. Like there should be more, but like I loved her character in the movie more watching it now, but she has had a wild ride after Clueless. Um, I mean, I thought she was fantastic. I definitely did not, you know, sit around being like, oh, I'm so glad that there are two black actors in this movie. But I remember thinking to myself, you know, that I, I appreciated that this, that the school looked diverse. I remember thinking yeah. that the school looked diverse and then that was good. Yeah. I've watched things like the horror noir documentary on Shudder, where it just talks about like some people's feelings about seeing the black female actress in the craft. I cannot remember her name right now, but how that was huge to them because you just didn't get a lot of representation, especially in teen films at that time. Right. I mean, think about the John Hughes films for God's sakes. Right. Yeah. I mean, think about any films. I mean, just anything, you know, so yeah, Stacey Dash has had a really odd career though. She went on to be in the Clueless TV show, which actually she got to do a lot more work in that show because it was more of an ensemble piece. But then like in 2014, I guess she got hired as a Fox commentator and she did that for until 2017. And like recently she was in an article in The Guardian where she said she'd been blacklisted by Hollywood for being conservative. And you know, like, I don't, I don't know whether to take that with a grain of salt or not, but like certainly she hasn't done a lot of work in recent years. So then you have Donald Faison, who plays Murray, Dion's boyfriend. He also was in the Clueless TV show. He also got to do a lot more actual, you got to be a bigger part of the show because it was an ensemble piece. And then he was on Scrubs, which oh, I never watched. Did you Scrubs guys watch was amazing. That? He was fantastic on that. And he's done robot work for Robot Chicken as well and some other voice work. And then we got Travis, was played by Brecken Meyer, who seems to show up in the background of every teen movie ever from that era. <laughs> like, I guess he and Donald Faison were actually the back in a band that's in Can't Hardly Wait that just is playing in the background, too. Shut the front door. Yeah, I'm yeah. looking that up because I love that movie. They talked about that in the panel. I love that movie, too. Someday we should do it for sure. Can I just shout out to Mr. Brecken there? I like him in um, another great rom-com, Kate and Leopold. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Wait, he's in Kate and Leopold? Yeah, he plays Kate's brother. Oh, okay, okay. So he's not the love interest. He's, he's okay. No, he's not the love interest, but he's he's got a part and he's good. Yeah. And he's just adorable. I think he's also Matthew McConaughey's brother in The Ghosts of Girlfriends Past, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I think you're right. <laughs> I think he shows right. up. He's just like in all the movies in the background somewhere. <laughs> and I guess he's done writing too for Robot Chicken. So he's not just an actor. And really, okay, one thing. On the Comic-Con panel or the whatever kind of con panel it was, it wasn't official Comic-Con. It was a different, smaller con. He said that he actually skateboarded to the audition and he had to skateboard a long way. It's so like on some roads that <laughs> you couldn't skateboard on. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so I just really wanted to talk about the Clueless TV show really quick, which it ran from 96 to 99. Sybil had never heard of it. I had never heard of it. Never heard of it. Yeah. Wow. But, uh, but it was originally conceived of Clueless, the movie, was originally developed by Amy Heckerling. It was going to be a TV show. So it was kind of a natural transition to do that. And a lot of the original cast are in it. Like, so Stacey Dash is in it. Donald Faison is in it. Wallace Shawn is in it. Twink, Ka Twink Kaplan, who is Miss Geist, is in it. Elisa Donovan, who is Amber, is in it. And the star, but the star is not Elisa Silverstone. It is Rachel Blanchard, who I was like, she's so familiar. Where do I know her from? And then I figured out that I know her from that song in Flight of the Concords about, you're so beautiful, you could be a waitress. She's that girl. Do you guys know Flight of the Concords? Yes. No. Yeah, she's that girl. She could be a pot. 
time model. Yeah, she's a Canadian actress. Yeah. 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 Rachel's like, sure, Rachel's Canadian. I'm sure she's done other stuff too, but like she will be that that girl to me forever. And it's a really interesting TV show. Like it has its strengths and weaknesses. I have only seen the two episodes, but I kind of got a feel for it. It resets to the plot before Cher has all her realizations and she and Josh get together. So it's kind of just playing off the, the fashion, the vibe, the slang, the, the atmosphere and getting comedy out of that. It's an ensemble piece, which I like. I think that's a strength. Like I like that the side characters get more time. And apparently there is now going to be a reboot of Clueless TV show on Peacock, but it's totally different. So Dion is going to be the main character. Cher is going to have disappeared. And Dion is going to be like simultaneously going to high school and trying to solve the mystery of what happened to Cher. Shut the front door. Yeah, no, it's going to be on Peacock TV. It's in development. Okay, I'm down with this show. Yeah. Know. It feels like it's got kind of a Riverdale vibe to it. Like, you know, the whole mystery aspect. So. And there was also an off-Broadway mu- musical. I did not really look into that too much. It had a very short run. Do you, Sybil, you seem to like musicals. Of, like, I, say, I need to go find the music for that. I want to know what it, what the music is. I guess it was a jukebox musical. So like what they call a jukebox musical. So it used songs like rock songs. Mean Girls is on Broadway. I've seen like, it three times. Oh my. Okay. Oh yes. So good. So amazing. Better, better, better than the movie. Ooh. Yeah. Nice. That's quite a recommendation since you really like the movie. Yeah, I do. I still like I still like the movie, but the musical is better. Oh wow. So unless oh wait, oh wait, before we before we do our double feature recommendations and end the show, I do have to point out one more thing about the movie. Is it okay? We got yes. a little bit so phones in this movie. When I watched it. In 2020, I did not notice at all when people were on the phones. But in 1995, that was like a serious running joke about people being on their phones. They go to dinner. Somebody gets a phone call. Um, Cher's walking down the hall talking to Dion on her cell phone. And then Dion shows up and starts talking on her cell phone, even though she's next to Cher. That Uh was a total joke in 1995. Like back in 95, they were using cell phones to signal this person is rich or this person is arrogant. Or this person is ridiculous. Like in true romance, you've got the Hollywood producer with his jerky cell phone. It's like, right, and now you just, yeah, and now you just watch it like whatever. Like, right, right. Totally. Get a phone call. Good call, call Jen. Good call. And she's got that, their gym class, she's got that fancy bejeweled phone case, like with her gym uniform. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous. Those uniform. Come on. Yeah. I couldn't take it. I was like, no, it's so bad. <laughs> That's ridiculous. No but I loved all the lame excuses not to play, though. Participate yeah. in gym. Heck oh, yeah. yeah, I did that in high school. <laughs> it's like, no, I have a crayon. Well, gym was, that's the saddest gym I ever saw. I would do gym if all I just said stand in line. Yeah, right? What's what's so hard about that? You get to hit one ball. That's it. I mean, yeah, that's fine. Okay, this brings us to the period where we're going to do some recommendations for double features. Like, so if you're going to watch Emma, or sorry, Clueless, rather, with something else, what would you watch it with? And for me, I would probably watch it against the 96 Emma, just because they came out so close together. They're both Austin adaptations of the same story. And I just think it's interesting to see how they do things differently. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that, Soph? Yep, that's about what I said. No other, no other things you would p- pair it with? Yeah. Emma and Emma? I really I really didn't give her much thought. Okay. But yeah, I'm like, just thinking I would do Emma and Emma if I were to do a double feature. Wait, Clueless and Emma or just Emma and Emma and forget Clueless entirely? <gasps> Sorry, Clueless and Emma. Forgot about the new Emma. Sorry. <gasps> Clueless <laughs> and Emma. 
Oh, I'm losing had it with this movie. (laughs) She's not even going to put it in the double feature. Ah! I would just watch a bunch of different Emmas. Fantastic. (laughs) Clueless in Emma. My bad. That's okay. Sybil, how about you? Um, Well, I would definitely say Mean Girls. Okay. Oh, yeah, duh. Mean Girls for sure. And I, because you will, you will see how, you will see how it, how Clueless has like affected the making of Mean Girls so much. Yeah. It's affected other teen movies and especially Mean Girls, which is so prominent. Yeah. I mean, so many beats. There's so many beats. The homage, you know, Tina Fey clearly loved Clueless and there were so many homages to it. Nice. Oh, out of left field recommendations too. You could go the other direction. And I think like it would be interesting to watch Heathers and Clueless because they both have that heightened fashion and some of the heightened characters and the clicks. And it's a totally different tonally. I would watch Heathers first so I didn't have to feel depressed. But (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I mean, even though it's kind of a happy ending, it's also kind of depressing. Let's be real. Well, you know, Sophia had mentioned Empire Records and I'd put that on my list um, to watch. Because I felt that they still had the same kind of feel to them as like the, of like the time period, yeah. but they have such a different, they have such different tones, Yeah, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I, I think that they're both good movies. So I think that they'd sit well together. I'm like, you know, Sophia would be like, why? <laughs> <laughs> they also have rocking soundtracks. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've, we've given our recommendations and, yeah, I think we've we've talked a lot about this movie, but there's a lot to talk about. So um, thanks, everyone, for listening. And thanks for joining me today, Sybil and Sophia. Of course. My yeah. pleasure. Always. Next week or next time, we will be releasing Bride and Prejudice, another Austin adapt- adaptation, but quite different. And you can always follow us at everyromcom.com or email us at feedback at everyromcom.com. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.